Lovely. Okay, there we are. So, uh, we are Easter. We're celebrating the Easter weekend. And uh, today, normally people will be camping and fishing and doing all these things and going on a long weekend uh, holiday. Uh, but everybody's uh, stuck indoors or following the government's requirements to stay home. Um, it's funny, though, as I think about this, we all have a calendar, don't we? We mark off the big events of life, and maybe on the calendar, Easter's a big event for you because maybe you're not normally go camping or do something like that. We have these big occasions in life that are like landmarks, uh, things that may remind us of something or, or things that may speak uh, volumes into our life about a life-changing, a life-transforming uh, decision that's taken place. Well, the Christian calendar is no different, in a sense. We have a couple of big landmark events that we really uh, stand out on the calendar that really speak something into our lives about who God is and what he's done for us. Uh, The first one, obviously, is Christmas. Christmas is a big event on the Christian calendar. Uh, That's where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came into the world. And uh, the other event that we celebrate alongside Christmas, a few months later, of course, uh, that being Easter, which we're celebrating now. But Easter, they'll remember both with sadness... And regret to a or reverence, sorry, other than regret, sadness and reverence because of the murderous death of Jesus Christ. Uh, we spoke about that on Good Friday service. You happen to watch that. It's about the cross of Jesus Christ. But also with Easter, we also uh, remember and but we celebrate the abounding joy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ three days later after his death. So Easter is both sadness, in a sense, a very deep sense of Jesus' death on the cross, but also real and abounding joy in the resurrection of Jesus. And today we're going to look at the book of Job to see a picture here of the abounding joy, as it were, or the hope that comes from Easter. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, please go with me to a to Job, and at least at Ephesians for some reason. Job, and then chapter 19, and we're going to read from there. Right. Oh, one too many. Okay, so Job chapter 19, and we are going to read from uh, verses 23 through to 29. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, how will we pursue him? And the root of the matter is found in him. Be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come and we can open up your word. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would just open light up upon this word now to grow in us a massive vision of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, along with Job, to see what he could see, Lord. The hope that you give to us through the resurrection, Lord, that our Redeemer lives. Help us to see that this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, and grow us today in the gospel, I ask, and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is Resurrection Sunday, as I've just said, so it's with joy and hope that we come together. 
uh, and celebrate this massive victory that Jesus has achieved for us here on Resurrection Sunday. The Resurrection Sunday speaks to us, or the resurrection of Jesus Christ speaks to us, this unshakable hope and peace into our lives, not only here and now, in the present, but also into eternity and for time to come. For all those who are trusting in Jesus Christ, the celebration of the resurrection will never end. We will go on for eternity celebrating the resurrection of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Now, here at Exchange Church, as you've just seen, uh, we love the Bible. Why? Because it's here we discover who God is. It's here we discover who God has sent to be our Redeemer in Jesus Christ. And we see the Bible as our guidebook for life, leading us, guiding us and directing us towards Jesus. But something we know and appreciate about God, particularly through the Bible, is this. He's given us what we call a progressive revelation. It's a progressive revelation. It starts off and it just sort of keeps getting larger and larger and larger. What we see of God in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, is fantastic. We see great stuff there about God. But Scripture keeps growing in that, and the revelation of God right throughout the Bible keeps growing as well. So we see more and more of God. It's like this growing revelation, this progressive revealing of who God is, to the point where today, where we sit with this, the complete Bible, the fullest picture that we can have about God in in Scripture in our hands as it were today. So we see as much as God wants to reveal to us here and now. So we want to pick up this passage here today in the book of Job, which is about God, which I'm sure Job didn't fully understand what he was saying here at this time, but we're going to see this as we work through it today. But from our vantage point of seeing all of Scripture, we can pick up where Job was and we get a clearer picture of what Job is talking about. And what we want to show today is this. It's the invincible hope and confidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings to us both now and forever. The invincible hope and confidence that the resurrection of Christ brings to us here and now and forever. Firstly, though, before we jump into this, we sort of need to know who is Job? What are the circumstances surrounding this passage of Scripture we've just read? Um, Who is Job and what is this book about? Uh, firstly, Job is a real person. He's a real living person. Uh, lived about two and a half, three thousand years ago. So, yep, uh, a few millennia back, but definitely a real person. Uh, we, what we know from Job in the first uh, chapter of Job is this. He's a well-respected, good-living and upright person. In fact, Job 1 tells us in Job chapter 1 uh, that he's blameless and upright in every way. He's a good guy. He's a really, really good guy. Uh, he's the sort of guy you'd really want to be friendly with. Uh, He also tells us there that he's a man who fears God and he turns away from evil. So he has a healthy reverence of God and worships God and chooses not to live an evil life. He turns away from evil. Uh, We also know about Job as well that he's well established in life. He's blessed in many, many ways with an abundance of possessions. You would probably consider him to be quite a wealthy person for his day and time back then. In fact, what we're told in Job chapter 1, that he's the most prominent of all the men of the East. So there's a glowing picture of who Job is. Uh, He's a guy who's real and alive, lived two and a half thousand years ago. A God-fearing man, worshipped God and reverenced him, well-respected, blameless and upright in every way. And he's the most prominent of all the men in the East. That's Job himself. Now, Job is a fascinating book. The book of Job itself is a very fascinating book. An evil being called Satan 
comes before God and asks permission to cause this upright, uh, God-fearing man trouble in his life. This evil being called Satan comes before God and says, can I cause trouble in Job's life? Because I think Job only worships you because you've blessed him so well. God responds to this evil being called Satan and says this, yes, yes you can, Satan, but you'll only do what I allow you to do. You will go only so far and no further. I set the boundaries of what you can do and you cannot and will not step over those boundaries. But yes, I will allow you to cause some trouble in Job's life. Now that's pretty mysterious to us. Um, The Bible has got a lot of mystery in there, but we're not going to look at that now. Anyway, the first lot of trouble that Satan has in mind and has a hand in in inflicting upon Job's life is mind-blowing. It's really, really mind-blowing. All in one day, this is all happening in one day, it says this, that Job loses his entire herds of stock. All his cattle, all his sheep, all his donkeys, they are gone in one day. They're either killed in storms or they're actually stolen by raiders. Not only this, all of his workers who were caring for those herds were either murdered by those raiders or they were killed in storms and only a handful of people remained who actually came back all on the same day to report to Job what had taken place. That's all happened in one day. But that's not all that happened to Job, that Satan had a hand in inflicting upon Job at this time. On the very same day, all of Job's sons and daughters were gathered together in the eldest son's house and a cyclonic windstorm came across the, uh, the plain and crushed the house and killed all of his sons and daughters in that house. Job's got some pretty serious trouble happening all in one day. You wouldn't wish that on anybody to go through something like that. Satan isn't happy, though, with just that result alone. He comes again before God and asks for permission again to cause more trouble. I'm thinking, mate, how much more trouble do you want to cause? Hey, can I cause more trouble? This time, mysteriously, God allows Job to be covered with painful boils from head to toe. Painful boils all over his body from head to toe. Now, through all of this, Job remains faithful before God and maintains a faith in God despite all of this calamity that has taken place in his life. Job says some pretty amazing things. One of them is this, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He acknowledges that God has allowed these things to be given to him and also be taken away from him. But he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. He still blesses and worships God. He says this, though he slay me, he's talking about God, though he would let me die I will still praise him. I will still praise him. Pretty amazing. Uh, The rest of the book then becomes a dialogue here between three friends who come, as it were, to comfort Job in his time of misery and pain and despair and suffering. And basically the thought of these three friends who come to comfort Job is this. Job, nobody suffers for no reason. This doesn't happen for no reason, Job. You must have done something really bad somewhere for this bad stuff to come back on you. Job, if you just go and confess your sin and tell God that you're sorry for all these things that you've done, I'm sure all this suffering will go away. Job says, no, that's not the case. I'm no different from you guys. I haven't done anything really bad. I haven't got anything here that's unconfessed before God. It's just come upon me. So what happens then is we get this 
Deep discussion and dialogue happening between Job and his three friends, bouncing backwards and forwards for the rest of uh, the book of Job. And this is now where we find ourselves here in chapter 19. It's, it's a long context, but it's really helpful to see uh, where we're going as, uh, as we unpack this chapter. Firstly, I want to think about a couple of things here. I want to get a couple of snapshots of the suffering of Job's pain and challenge in his life. This will actually help set up for us when we get to chapter 19, this diamond of hope that glistens amongst all this pain and suffering. Uh, Look with me in Job chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, as we see his friends arrive. They've they've heard about Job's pain and misery, so now they're coming to comfort him. So they're a, a little ways off, but now they're within sight of Job, and here's what happens. In verse 12, and when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him and they raised their voices and wept and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his suffering was very great. Now, we haven't got the time to go into this today, but in those couple of verses there, verses 12 and 13, there's a whole world of pain and suffering if you just think about that. Just look at verse 13. Look at what's happening there. These three guys come, and when they see Job and, and take him what's happened to him, they sit there speechless. They've got nothing to say to him when he sits in this tremendous pain and suffering. Seven days seven nights. They're just trying to take all of this in. Here's another snapshot. Uh, Later on, as the conversation begins to unfold with these guys, because eventually they did talk after the seven days and seven nights, this conversation goes backwards and forwards. Job gives us here a glimpse into the low state of his mind and his mood, as it were, or his uh, presence at that time. Look with me again in Job chapter 17 this time with verses 1 and 2. And here is what Job is saying. He says this, My spirit is broken. My days are extinct. The graveyard is ready for me. Surely there are mockers about me and my eye dwells on their provocation. What's Job saying? I'm a broken man. I'm crushed. My spirit is broken. This suffering is crushing me. And he says there, I'm ready to die. The cemetery is prepared for me even right now. Mockers are around about me. I can see all of their provocation, all of their annoyance towards me. I'm crushed and I'm broken. Now, I don't think too many of us have gone through the suffering of Job. That's pretty intense. That's pretty deep. But Job's life is this. It's a picture of the broken world that we live in. We all experience brokenness in varying degrees in our lives. Like I said, it won't be as severe as Job, but we all know pain in some form in this world. And this brokenness as a foundation, as it were, comes from our rejection and, and, and unwillingness to acknowledge God as our creator and our rightful king. Where's Job? Job is down. He's in a very dark place, but he's not done. He's down and he's in a dark place, but Job is not done. And we're about to see here what that means when, he, when we say he's not done. Job has got a faith in God. He's got a very deep faith in God. He believes that God is real and that Job has a hope that flickers, that flickers through the darkness of the life that he's actually going through now. And what we see here through the book of Job 
as we see him expressed to his three friends, we see this flicker of hope. Every now and again through the book of Job, this flicker of hope, as it were, rises up into a flame. It actually burns really bright. And we actually see this here in Job chapter 19. We see it in verse 25 particularly. Let's have a look here in what it says. He says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. There's, There's something within Job. There's something resolute. There's something, it's like a rock that cannot be moved. It's this connection with God. It's this faith that he has in God. It's this trust and hope that he has in God. He will be redeemed despite everything that's happened around about Job. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. This verse here, as it were, stands out like a, like a beacon in the middle of darkness. It's like a captain who's on a ship in a dark and stormy night and he sees the, the lighthouse in the distance. This verse, as it were, shines out of all the darkness of what Job is going through. And he talks here about a Redeemer. Job senses and knows, I have a Redeemer. What does he mean by Redeemer? What does the word Redeemer mean here as we think about this? Job is saying this, I have someone who will rescue me and save me. A Redeemer is someone who will stand in the gap in my time of need. Someone who will step in and take my place. The Bible actually often refers this to as a kinsman Redeemer. Now, maybe an example might help us to see what this really is. Uh, Maybe it's a bit like this. Somebody's in trouble. You may have a son or a daughter and they've got themselves into all sorts of trouble. They've actually run foul of the law and they're now in custody because of the crimes they've committed or they've been pulled in for something they've done which has been illegal. But along comes a family member as the police ring up to say, hey, we have your son or daughter here. But along comes this family member and they see their son or their daughter and what do they do? They'll pay the bond for them to get out of prison. They'll actually vouch for them to say they will come back to my place and I will keep them here so they're not out on the street causing any more trouble. What is that? They've become like a redeemer. That kinsman redeemer, like a family person or a close friend, has stepped in the gap. When this other person is in a time of trouble, this redeemer steps in to save them and to rescue them from the predicament they're in. See, this is Job's solid hope with God It's a redeemer, someone who will stand in the gap, someone who will take his place. Now, this is a remarkable statement of faith uh, by Job in this really dark and difficult place. It just stands out as you're reading through the book of Job. He's trusting that God will provide a redeemer, a rescuer, a saviour for him. Now, for Job, that's not real clear who that is. He's trusting that God will provide something. That's why I talk about this progressive revelation here, in a sense. Job can't see what we can see today. Job had limited view of who God was and who God is. But today, we have all of Scripture here, so we can begin to put these pieces into place of what Job was referring to. We can see that the Redeemer that God sends, the Saviour, the Rescuer here, the one that God sends is His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Have a look with me here in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. We get this picture of the connection. It says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See that word ransom there? It's like a price paid to release captives. Kidnappers may go and kidnap people. And it still happens today, believe it or not. And they demand a ransom payment for the release of those 
uh, captives. That word ransom there is closely linked with the idea of a redeemer. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is the redeemer that God has sent to release us, to rescue us and save us uh, from the penalty of sin and from the chains of sin. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is the redeemer who's redeemed us from all of our sinfulness before a just, good and holy God. Jesus is God's redeemer for us. And Job didn't clearly see this or didn't clearly know this, but this actually is what he was hoping in. This is where Job's trust was. Job says, my redeemer lives. Job actually is trusting in Jesus, even though he doesn't know who who he is at that particular time. We know now with the full revelation of scripture that our redeemer is God's own son, Jesus Christ, sent to save us. He is our saviour redeemer. Now Job goes further here. He builds on this uh, this statement of faith that stands out here in the midst of this darkness that I know that my Redeemer lives. And his heart, as it were, now begins to rise in a faith-filled wonder in this God. Job feels absolutely safe in God, confident in God. Actually, his heart is beginning to overflow in this confidence. Have a look at me here in verses 26, 27, where we begin to see that. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. The confidence is growing here with Job. Job knows his end upon this earth. He knows that one day he will die. My flesh, after my skin has been thus destroyed... Job knows actually that's the end of all people. Every single one of us one day will die. But yet though, Job says this, I will see God. I will see God even though I've died. Even though I die, Job is saying, that is not going to be the end for me. I will live on and I will see God because of my Redeemer and because he lives today. Can you say that today? Is that your hope today? That after you die, when your life on this earth is finished, that you will see God. Is that your hope? Can you speak like Job with such confidence, that he's brimming with confidence like that, that you'll see God after you die? Maybe you're checking in here for the first time with us at Exchange Church. Maybe this is the first time you've ever come across us and you've heard about us. We are so glad you've clicked onto us today to watch uh, this talk and this sermon. We love and welcome new people to come and connect with us here at Exchange. And maybe that's you. You're thinking, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me after I die. But we're so glad you're here because we want to tell you about Jesus, the Redeemer, who can safely bring us to God so that we will see him. But think about death for a moment. Think about this end of life. How does our culture deal with death and the end of life? One line line of thought says this, yeah, God is a good guy. He lets everybody into heaven. Ah, God's a good guy. He lets everybody in. Well, who determines who's good then? Does only the really, really good people get in or just the good people get in? Who actually determines this? God says to be with him, we've got to be perfect. Uh, None of us are perfect. That means nobody will be with God. None of us will get in. Another line of thought says this about death. When we die, that's it. Nothing after that. That's it. She's all over, mate. Done and dusted. You're over. And all you do now is pushing up daisies, nothing else. Well, that makes life pretty pointless, doesn't it? 
Why would Job go through all of that suffering? Why not just actually end his life now and just be over it if there's nothing on the other side of death? It makes life very, very pointless. You see, either of those thoughts actually have us hanging in midair with nothing to grab onto to actually hold and, and, and give us strength. We think God's a good guy and he's going to let everybody in, but who determines who's good enough? Or we think, no, there's nothing after death. Well, that makes life pretty pointless. There's nothing. We're just left hanging with those sort of thoughts. But that's not where we find Job, is it? We don't find Job there like that. Job is unshakable in his confidence. He knows that God has provided him with a redeemer. Provided him with a redeemer. Here's the confidence that God gives through Jesus, our redeemer. The confidence that Job is showing us and the confidence that we can have today And the confidence is this. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that fills us with an invincible hope. Jesus has redeemed us by his death on the cross. He has ransomed our souls from sin and death. We saw there the the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost and give his life as a ransom for many. But the resurrection of Jesus actually shows us something really, really significant. It actually proves something for us. Have a look here in Romans chapter 4, verse 24, 25 with me. Uh, It starts there, 24. Uh, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. That's the crucifixion. That's the cross of Jesus. Who was delivered up for all of our trespasses, our sins. And then, and raised the resurrection and raised for our justification. The raised for our justification is just not some throwaway words there. It has significant meaning here as Paul writes this for the Romans. It's a big statement. It's like this. When God raised Jesus from the grave, so when God gave the power for Jesus to rise up out of the grave, God is actually saying this or declaring this to us. He's saying this. Jesus' payment for our sin is full and complete. Jesus' payment for our sin is perfect. God's demands for justice have been met by Jesus. Because of Jesus, complete payment, we will all rise like him from the grave. This is God's statement here declaring that Jesus' death has achieved all of this. Because of his resurrection, we too will rise from the grave to know life everlasting. That's declared to us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything for us. Our biggest problem in life, sin and death. We can't do anything about sin and death in ourselves. Jesus has come and he has dealt with that in his life, death and resurrection. And there's not one element of our lives here where the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have an impact on how we think and ultimately how we live in life. Look at how it impacted Job's thoughts here as he was beginning to think about this, even in his limited understanding. Look at how it impacted him. Look at the end of verse 27. It says this, My heart faints within me. My heart faints within me. Think about what's happening in Job's mind here and his heart as this is happening. There's a real sense of overwhelming excitement or anticipation here with Job as he contemplates the seeing of his Redeemer. In my flesh, I will see God. You can nearly sense an exploding in his heart as he imagines what it'll be like to see the living God, to see his living Redeemer. 
Perhaps it's something like this, and you may have witnessed this sometimes if you've been out of the airport and you're welcoming people home. And I've seen it a few times. My mum used to do some travelling back to her family in Canada, and I'd wait there at immigration. And you would see people there waiting for their loved ones to come through the immigration doors. Uh, And you would see them. They were sort of nervous. They were excited. They were chatty. And soon as they saw that their family member, whom they hadn't seen maybe for weeks or months or maybe even years... Uh, I mean, you saw them, they ran and there was tears flowing and they were hugging. It was just this sense of anticipation and excitement on on seeing this person they hadn't seen for so long. I think that's what Job is talking about here. His heart faints within him. He's longing, he's longing to see his Redeemer. Let me ask this question. Has the resurrection of Jesus impacted you like that? Do you have a longing to see your Redeemer? As you think about seeing Jesus face to face, does that do anything in your heart? Are you filled with a holy excitement and an anticipation about seeing the resurrected Jesus? Does that do something for you as you think on that and contemplate about seeing who Jesus is? It's a great question to ask ourselves. So here's what we do, friends, as we think about the resurrection of Christ. If you think about Job today and his uh, great statement there that my Redeemer lives, the resurrection of Jesus Christ boldly, boldly enables us to live life willing to encounter whatever we may face, whatever God may lead us into. Just like Job was led into the darkest periods of life, the resurrection actually enables us to boldly face that wherever Jesus may lead us. We can have the confidence because of the resurrection that the Holy Spirit will enable us with his strength to go through whatever life may put at us. That's what the resurrection does for us. And I'd encourage you today, I really would encourage you to think deeply on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and ask yourself, what does that mean for you? If you're a follower of Jesus, it should fill you with a growing hope in life. The resurrection should grow your hope in life. And I think if you keep thinking more and more about the resurrection, keep thinking about it much and dwelling on it much, this will only serve to grow a deeper hope in our hearts and lives that one day I will see Jesus. I will see him face to face. If you're not a believer today, then I urge you to consider deeply what the resurrection means. I urge you to consider this. If Jesus is who he says he is, and if Jesus has done what he says he has done, as the Bible has told us, then we must consider all that he says as eternally important. If Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to God except through me, and he is the one who's resurrected from the grave, and he is the one who's conquered sin and death, we must think very long and hard about who he is. We cannot brush Jesus off and discount him. We would be foolish to do that. Even here in this passage, Job has a warning for us. Look in verses 28 and 29, particularly 29 here. Job's uh, friends were falsely accusing him about saying, Job, you've done all this wrong stuff. You need to get it out of your life. Job says, no, guys, if you keep living this false life by falsely accusing me, know this, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming, Job says, and judgment is coming. And the only way that we can safely get through that judgment is through 
Jesus Christ and believing in his resurrection. There is no other way. Let me finish here now with a, uh, a true and a beautiful story here of a person called Fanny Crosby. Uh, Fanny lives in the 18th century and uh, her hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and delight in him uh, was a tower of strength in her life. Uh, Fanny Crosby was a prolific hymn writer of more than 9,000 hymns. If you go into some old hymn books, you'll see some there with her name written on the bottom. She wasn't writing choruses. She was writing eight and nine verse hymns. That's a lot of hymns, 9,000 hymns or more. Uh, Fanny Crosby uh, was born as a baby and from eight weeks of age, uh, she was blind. She developed an eye condition with her eyes and her parents found what they thought was a doctor, but he turned out to be a fraud and a sham. And the doctor said, you need to put a mustard poultice upon your eyes to correct your daughter's eye condition. Uh, the parents put the mustard poultice upon the eyes of her daughter and that ruined both her eyes and she could not see from that point on. So from the point of eight weeks on, she had total blindness for the rest of her life. Despite all this challenge, despite those difficulties, uh, Fanny Crosby lived a fruitful life serving Jesus Christ. One day, a well-meaning preacher uh, said this to her as he was having a, a conversation with, with uh, Miss Crosby. He says, Miss Crosby, I think it's a great pity that the Master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. Fanny Crosby replied to that and said this, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition it would have been that I was born blind. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Saviour. Isn't that a beautiful response? Born blind, sorry, blind from eight weeks of age, never seen a flower, never seen the ocean, never seen the mountains, never saw her parents, never saw food. All these wonderful things that we take for granted, really. She's never seen those things. And she said, I would gladly give all that away, knowing that the first face that I will see when I step into eternity will be the face of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, her Saviour. You see, Fanny Crosby gets the resurrection. Job gets the resurrection. It's filled with invincible hope. Why? Because their Redeemer lives. And he does live. And this is exactly what we celebrate today. And I ask you as you watch this today, is that your hope? Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ your hope? Let me pray. Father, I give you thanks and praise that we can come together today and open up this passage here in Job. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus, you conquered the grave. You paid sin's penalty and you rose again, declaring us justified, declaring us right, declaring that your payment for sin is full, perfect and complete, that there's nothing left to do. You have done it all. God, I pray, let that resurrection grow deep hope into our hearts today. Hope that, Lord, will help us to overcome whatever we are facing in this world, whatever challenges you may lead us into, Lord, knowing the hope that you give to us from the resurrection will enable us to go through. Fill our hearts with joy and expectancy, I pray, excitement, anticipation as we look forward to seeing Jesus. Let that be a growing joy in our hearts, overflowing as it were. So we will get to stand alongside Job and Fanny Crosby, Lord, to see you and to worship you in and through eternity because of the resurrection. 
Father, thank you for this. And I commit that to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we are so glad you've been with us today. Hey, if you have any questions about today's talk or maybe you've tuned in for the first time and you want to know more about Jesus, please contact me. Please contact me at info uh, at exchangechurch.org.au. Uh, stay with us a bit longer. We're now going to have uh, Laurel and the team just to sing a song to uh, close for us. But uh, thank you very much. And uh, we hope to see you again. Thank you.